Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians 3, as we continue on our journey through the book of Galatians and finding freedom. And every single one of us need it. And um, we have, if we've not discovered it, God has it available. But it's not a one-time shot. God wants us to walk with the freedom giver. And he wants us to experience that in the book of Galatians is that help. Let's stand together when you have that. And in doing so, we'll dismiss our children. They'll go over to their children's ministry. And um, you can pick them up over in the next building, the older auditorium next door. Galatians chapter number three. Now we were here last week, but because of the, the technical aspects of these verses, I had already intended to uh, come at it again. Just wanted to lay it out last week. And we're going to look at this one more time here in verse number six through verse 14. Notice what it says beginning in verse six. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This morning I want to preach, looking at these verses 6 through 14, on this thought, Every single one in this auditorium, we are either under the curse or we are under the blood. We're under the curse or we're under the blood. Thank you. Please be seated. Galatians is that book as we've been going through this, which tells us that we can be set free in Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he died, was buried, resurrected so that we could be set free. We're not born physically free. Being in this country does not make us free in the sense that God wants to make us free. We experience freedom that God has, complete, total freedom when we're born again, the spiritual birth. And in Paul's day here in the book of Galatians, there were teachers who had come along and they're talking to people, young converts, those who had not been saved very long, who, were, who had experienced this newfound freedom in Jesus. And these teachers known as Judaizers, they're trying to take these young believers and put them back in bondage. They're trying to put them back in the place that Jesus died to save them from. They were saying things like, you know, Paul is fine as far as he goes, but you've got to have the whole story. 
You have to know Christ as your Savior. Sure you do. But there's more to it than just Jesus. You've got to do some good works in there as well. You have to keep the law of God if you're really going to be a Christian. And so Paul's writing in response to this. In chapters 3 and 4, actually you have six chapters here and you can divide the book in three sections. Chapters 1 and 2, Paul's dealing on a personal basis and he's giving his testimony and he's talking about the nature of the cross. And chapter 3 and 4, he gets into the doctrinal foundation and he gets to chapter 5 and 6. He's going to make application how this can practically be experienced. But in chapters 3 and 4, he's giving doctrine. He's building the case that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus based upon his death upon the cross of Calvary. Verse 6 and following, they are technical. They can be a little bit challenging to understand. And so I want to unpack them and break them down into some bite-sized sections because this is quite significant. We like sometimes the, the messages that, that are story related. We like the feel good. But this is maybe not one of the feel good kind of passages. But this is a passage, if you get its truth, it'll make you good. And there's a big difference. And so you've got to keep in mind what he's getting across is that God only has one way of salvation. Only one. There's only one gospel. There's only one Savior. There's only one way to heaven. And all people who have ever been saved, all people who may decide to get saved today, anybody who going forward from this day ever gets saved, they're going to get saved the exact same way. There's never been two ways of salvation. And he's even pointing out that using the illustration of Abraham, that if anybody gets saved today, they get saved the same way that Abraham got saved. And so Paul's proving his point. Now, in the first two chapters, he's talked about this matter of salvation. It's not of works. It's not of the law. It's of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapters three and four, again, he's digging in doctrine and he's talking about their personal experience in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Remember that? He asked a series of questions. He asked them questions like, now, how were you saved? Were you saved by doing something? Did you get saved by living a good life? Did you earn your salvation? This is verses 1 through 5. Did you keep the Ten Commandments? Did you get saved by doing the works of the law? Or were you saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And they knew we're saved by faith in Jesus. But now in verse 6, he moves from their personal experience to make his point. He now goes to Old Testament scriptures. That's a good principle for all of us to follow. It matters not what your personal experience might be. If it fails the test of scripture, our experience is wrong. So he takes them from their personal experience and he brings them to Old Testament scripture. And so two things I want you to see this morning. Two things that Paul brings out. And this is the outline. Two, two things. Number one, justification. And number two, redemption. One is justification, number two, redemption. Now, I know 
you, you think that we cannot have a good sermon without three points. The third point is the invitation. What are you going to do about it? But point one, justification. You say, that's a big word. I don't understand it. That's one of the reasons you come hear me preach. It's my job to unpack and to explain, help us with those big words. But Paul's already used this matter of justification, this word in the book of Galatians. In fact, this is a key word in the Bible. Perhaps I was introduced to this word and never got over the truth of it as I sat in Bible doctrines class under Dr. Childs in the 1990s. And, um, and we went through and he would talk about these words and talking about things that happened when I got saved. Justification is one of those. Justification is a very significant word. What does it mean? Well, justified means to declare righteous. We are declared righteous. See, by faith, when a person gets saved, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you believe the promise of God for salvation, he declares you righteous. When you're saved, you're justified, among many other things, meaning you are declared righteous before God. See, basically, justification is when an individual is brought into an unmerited, meaning we didn't earn this, an unmerited, unearned, right relationship with God. Justification does not, doesn't encompass the whole salvation aspect, but it does, however, mark that instantaneous point of entry or transformation that happens in my life on the in, inner man, on the inside, that makes me right with God. I can't do it. You can't do it. Jesus did it and God declares it. See, Christians, what Paul's getting at is we are justified the same way Abraham was justified. And how was that? It's by faith. It's by faith. In fact, Romans chapter 4 and verse number 16, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, if you want to jot those down, are extra verses in which Paul deals with this. So Paul now is giving the example of Abraham. Because remember, the context, you've got young Christians, you have these Judaizers, these false teachers who take truth because you're not going to buy into it unless it's, there's some truth mixed in. In fact, every cult has an element of truth. And they are telling these young believers that you got saved this way. But in order for others to get saved, in order to please God, you're going to have to mix in some other stuff, tradition and law and other things. And so Paul is trying to help them again What's your personal testimony? Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. How did you get saved? And then he goes verse 6 through 14. Let me tell you about Abraham. You know Abraham? Of course they knew about Abraham. And so he goes and he is talking about Abraham. And he uses, notice verse number 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He's using a text from Genesis 
The point, again, he's been making is that salvation comes through faith. It doesn't come through the law. And I'm going to use Abraham, Paul says, to make that point. The patriarch, Abraham. He's mentioned 19 times in Paul's letters. Paul's emphasis upon Abraham is quite significant. He's a pivotal figure in all of Paul's arguments from Scripture, especially in Galatians. Abraham was the father of what people? It's going to be a long morning. Abraham was not a Gentile. He was a, the father of the Jewish people. And, um, and one of the significant things that, that has been dealt with here, and it goes back to Genesis 17, was Abraham was the father of the Jewish people, and circumcision began with Abraham. What's the significance of circumcision? Well, it was a sign of God's renewed covenant with Abraham. And that was that every male would experience circumcision. It was a painful procedure. But it would underscore the deep commitment that God expected from those in covenant with him. Circumcision was a signal that men would carry that covenant as we see this promise pass from Abraham to his son Isaac and to his son and so on and so on. But that's part of what the Judaizers are bringing up. I think if you're really going to be Christians, if we're really going to be God's people, we need to bring back what Abraham believed in, circumcision and other things of the law. So Paul pointed to Genesis 15 and verse 6 to show that Abraham's righteousness came as he accepted God's promise by faith. We have Genesis 15 verse 6 up here. Notice the verse and you'll see how Paul's quoting it in Galatians 3. And he, that is Abraham, believed in the Lord and he counted it to Abraham for righteousness. See, before Abraham was circumcised, long before the law was given to Moses, Abraham was justified. That means he was declared righteous in the sight of God simply by faith in God's promise. And that's what Paul's pointing out. You want to talk about Abraham, he says? You want to talk about circumcision? You want to talk about the law? Let's go back to Father Abraham. He was justified. He was declared righteous, not because of what he did. The justification, the declaration took place by God in Abraham's life long before the, the sign of circumcision, long before the law was given to Moses. It came, the declaration of righteousness, the justification in Abraham's life, it came by simple faith in God. And so a couple things he tells us about Abraham. One is he points out Abraham's faith, and we're already talking about it. Verse number six, and that was the quote taken from Genesis 15, six, Abraham believed God and was accounted unto him for righteousness. So he's talking about Abraham's faith. Abraham, remember, here, here's the, the setting of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, they were married, but they didn't have any children. In Genesis 15, God promised Abraham that he would have a son. And he did it in a very beautiful way. He took Abraham out into the night. 
looked up at the sky and, and paraphrasing what, what was said. God said, Abraham, do you see all those stars up there? Your descendants are going to be as numerous as those stars. You know what it says in Genesis 15 and verse number 6? That's, again, that's what he's quoting here in Genesis 3, or excuse me, Galatians 3 and verse 6. Abraham believed God. He just took God at his word. And the Bible uses an accounting, the word accounting, an accounting uh, term when he says it was accounted unto him for righteousness. The word believe, when it says Abraham believed God, you know what that word is? It's the same word for amen. Abraham, amen to God. Amen. God said, Abraham, see those stars. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as those stars. And Abraham believed he amened God. And the Bible says God accounted he put it to Abraham's account, you're righteous. Now, was he a righteous, sinless person? No, but God justified him, declared it to be so. It's like you have a ledger. You have a debt side, you have a, a debit side, you have a credit side. And when it says he accounted, it means he put down, God put on the credit side, God put it in the books, righteous. Not because of what he did, but because of the fact he depended upon what God said and who God is. Now here's the picture. God made a promise to Abraham to give him what? A son. Abraham did what? He believed God. He amened. And because of that, God declared Abraham righteous. Meaning what? That's when Abraham got saved. Abraham got saved the same way if you're saved, you got saved. You say, well, I thought they had to do sacrifices. They did, but not to get saved. See, what happens today is what happened then or how we look at it then. People say, well, I thought all I had to do was trust Jesus and that's it. Well, that is it. You trust him to save you and then you trust him to help you live the life that he has for you. But to get saved, you just put your faith and trust in Jesus. Well, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven. You can go to church and never get to heaven. But if you're going to get to heaven, you've got to trust the only one who can take you there. Uh, so I don't have to go to church. Well, sure you do. Well, I just thought you said you didn't. You're not listening. You don't have to go to church to get saved. But if you're going to enjoy the one who saved you, you might want to show up where he is. Yeah. And see, the difference is we confuse discipleship with the matter of getting saved. Someone says, well, you get saved, you, you, you got you to do all these things. No, you don't. To get saved, you got to depend upon all that Jesus did. And once you become part of his family, there are some things you might want to do if you're going to enjoy being in the family. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever includes the world, it includes you. Whosoever shall call in dependence and believing upon the Lord, you'll be saved just like Abraham. Abraham was saved just like 
you get saved. If you're not saved, you should get saved. Yeah, because you're either under the curse and you take your last breath being under God's curse, you'll spend an eternity in hell separated from God. But if you get saved, you're under the blood and you'll spend an eternity in the presence of God and you can enjoy his presence until you get there even here. But he talks about Abraham's faith. But then the second thing he talks about in verses seven through nine in this matter of justification, he talks about his family. Abraham's family. Notice in verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the, what's the word? Children of Abraham. You see that? I'm, I'm trying to work my way through it. It helps if you stay with me. Stay with me. Don't duck out. Verse 8 in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. All right, he's talking about his family. Do you know that you can be in Abraham's family? Did you know that if you're saved, you are in his family? That's what he says in verse seven. Know therefore that they which are of faith, that is those who believe God's promise, those who say yes to God's promise of salvation, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, it says in verse seven, you're of the children of Abraham. So if you've trusted in the promise of God for salvation, the Bible says you're one of Abraham's children. But now here's something you need to recognize. You know that there's a difference between Abraham's children and Abraham's seed. There's a difference. Let me show you this. You want to turn to John chapter eight. And if you don't want to turn there, Brother Cherry, can you pull up John chapter number 8 and we'll look at verse number 37. I want you to see this because this is what Paul is dealing with. That's why I said it's technical, but it's very simple. And, and so much of New Testament theology hinges upon what Paul's laying out. There's a difference between Abraham's children and Abraham's seed. You say, I thought the Jews were Abraham's children. No, they're not. The Jews are Abraham's seed. Notice in John chapter 8, Jesus explains it for us. And Jesus is talking to the Jews who had confronted the Lord. Notice in verse 37. I know that ye are Abraham's, what's the word? Seed. But you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. So Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders who had accosted him. He says, I know that you're of Abraham's seed. He means that by that, you're Abraham's physical descendants. The Jewish people in Israel right now, the Jewish people all over the world, and there might be some in this room, you are Abraham's physical descendants, your seed. But notice in verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if ye were Abraham's, what's the word? Children. Children. Ye would do the works of Abraham. See, what Jesus is saying is, if you're Abraham's children, you'd be acting like Abraham. You're his descendant, but you're not his children. He had just said to them that they were Abraham's seed. Now he is in essence saying, but you're not Abraham's children. 
See, Abraham's seed are the physical descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people. How many in here are physical descendants? You're Jews. Would you raise your hand? All right. I see one. A physical descendant. But here he says, not many of us in here would qualify None of us except one as Abraham's seed. But if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior by faith, though you're not Abraham's seed, his physical descendant, if you are saved, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, would you hold up your hand? You then are Abraham's children. That's what he's pointing out. Back to Galatians chapter number 3. Notice what he says in verse 8 in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. You know, the same message that God preached to Abraham, do you know what that was? The same message Paul was preaching to them in Galatians chapter 3, the same message I'm preaching to you. See, God preached to Abraham. In verse number 8, he is quoting again Genesis 12 now. In Genesis 12 and verse 3, God said, In thee, Abraham, shall all nations be blessed. See, the blessing of Abraham he's talking about here is the blessing of salvation. How did Abraham get the blessing of salvation? Justification. By faith. He just took God at his word. How do we get the blessing of salvation? The same way Abraham got it, by faith. But it's not just faith in general, it's faith in the promise, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord for salvation shall be saved, receive salvation. And so here he's talking about to Abraham. Abraham, he preached the gospel. He preached that in Abraham, all the nations could find salvation the same way Abraham found salvation. That is all people who receive Christ as their personal savior. The same Jesus who saved you and me is the same Jesus. Do you know this? The same Jesus that saved Abraham. You say, well, Jesus wasn't born yet. He wasn't born yet, but he was alive. We look backward to Christ. Abraham just looked forward to Christ. I've heard some say that there in the Old Testament, they they didn't have the foggiest idea about the cross. Oh, Abraham certainly did. Though they most certainly did. They looked forward while we looked backwards. See, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham so that Abraham would look forward to Christ's coming. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 56, your father Abraham, he rejoiced. This is Jesus speaking. He rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad. Do you remember when Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah? He laid his only son on the altar as a moving scene. Do you remember that God provided right before Abraham brought that knife down to slay his son? God provided a substitute lamb. When Abraham took that substitute lamb and he put it in the place of his son, do you know what he got a glimpse of? Calvary. He got a preview of what Jesus would one day do when he would go to the cross. 
See, you and I share with Abraham the same justification. We're saved exactly the same way as Abraham was saved. He was saved looking forward to the cross of Calvary. We're saved by looking back at the work Jesus did. We are saved looking back to the cross of Calvary, his finished work for our sins. Notice verse number nine of Galatians three. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Meaning you and me, those who are saved by faith, who've taken Jesus Christ to be their personal savior. We're part of his family. You can be a part of his same faith and the same Jesus, and we can be a part of his family. We may not be physical descendants, but you don't want to be just a physical descendant and not be a spiritual descendant. And so this, the first point is the matter of justification. Will you listen faster? And let me get to the second one here. Ready? Well, two of you are ready. The rest of you, you're just enjoying it. So I don't want to rush you. You know, I hate when being rushed when I'm trying to eat a good meal. So I don't want to rush you either. You just, just enjoy it. But if I put you to sleep, it's only fair that I wake you up. I'm putting you on fair notice. Verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The second truth, he talked about justification. Now he's talking about redemption. He said, I know these words, but they don't really mean a lot. Well, sometimes it's because we don't know its meaning. The word redeem comes up in these few verses. Again, verse 13 being the significant one. But listen, redemption is the foundation. It's the foundation of justification. In other words, we are justified. What does justified mean? Declared righteous. Are you? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I am. Well, I'm not talking about whether or not you feel it. I'm not talking about what it may look like in your life. I'm talking about what does God say about it. And if God declares you to be righteous, oh, God's right. Yeah. Justification. We wouldn't have it if it wasn't for the foundation of redemption. The redeeming work of Jesus on the cross. You see, redemption is the foundation of justification. Without redemption, there could be no justification because redemption is Jesus shedding his blood on Calvary, making justification possible. Now, stay with me for a moment. Listen, redemption means our sins are placed on Jesus Christ. When you are ready to get saved, you don't want your sin. You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to be separated from God. You recognize there's only been one way, only one way, only one Savior, only one gospel. And when you're ready to take Jesus, you recognize that in order to be declared innocent, declared free, declared righteous, there must have been a redeeming process where Jesus Christ took all of my sin and took them upon himself. You see, justification means his righteousness is placed on us. That can only happen when redemption, my sins are placed on him. 
Oh, what a wonderful Savior. Hallelujah. Verse 10. Notice verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So he's getting ready to tell us there's only two ways we can live. Only, there's, there's only two categories of people. You're either verse 10. You're under the works. You're, you're going by way of works. You're under the curse of the law. Or verse 11. You're going to try it by faith. You're either going to be under the curse of the law or under the liberty of the blood of Jesus. You know, all religions of the world are only in these two categories. All religions of the world are going to teach works of the law or they're going to teach faith in Jesus and Jesus only. So Paul's going to show the difference between these two. He says in verse 10, the way of the curse. Do you want to be cursed? Here's how. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. See, those who would try to get forgiveness of sins, eternal life, get to heaven by the works of the law, the Bible says, and this is again a quote from Deuteronomy 27, 26. He says, you're under a curse. Well, that's the very thing I'm trying to get out from under. Well, you may want to pay attention because you don't want to go this route. You don't want to go the route of the works of the law because if you go the route of the works of the law, you're under a curse. See, what I want to do is to show you what the requirements are if you're going to go a, if you're going to try to have salvation by works. What are the requirements? Well, if you decided you're going to work your way to heaven and it's your choice, but if you're going to work your way to heaven, he tells you how to do it. Notice what he says in verse number 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written. Listen, cursed is everyone. Look at it. You see it? Cursed is everyone that continueth. What's the next word? Not in. What's the next word? all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So what's the requirement? If you're not going to accept Jesus and only Jesus, if you're going to have a salvation that is about works, doing the best you can, keep the Ten Commandments, be good. If you're going to have a salvation that is about works, here's what Paul says. You got to keep all of them. All of them. All of them. And then not, it's not just all of them. You got to keep them all the time. So if you're going to go by way of works, Paul says, here's how you, this is the requirement. Because the law says you've got to keep all of them all the time. And if you don't keep all the law, all the time, all the Ten Commandments, all the time, you're cursed. Well, well, I'll just pick back up the next day. No, you've already blown it. You're already cursed. You say, I've done most of them. That's not enough. You've got to do them all. But you've got to do them all the time. It's not 99%, it's 100%. If you're going to get to heaven by your own good works, you've got to do all the good works possible all the time. That's the requirements. What's the result? Well, the result is verse 10, you're under a curse. Well, what's the curse? It's God's curse. 
See, God is a God who not only blesses, he mentions the blessing three times in this passage, but he is a God who also curses. What's the curse? The curse is God's holy displeasure against sin. The curse is present alienation, separation from God. And one day when you take your last breath, if you're still under the curse... It's final banishment from the presence of God forever. If you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're trying to get to heaven by your own good works, here's what I know about you, mankind, myself, is that there is no way you can keep all the works of the law all the time you're under a curse. And God is serious about sin. Your sin and mine put Jesus on the cross. God is a holy God. His curse is upon sin. People come to this building. They'll listen to me preach. Sometimes they will sit and they will laugh. They think their sin is funny. It may be funny to you, but sin is not funny to God. You hear me? You can laugh your way to hell. You'll never laugh your way out. God loves people too much to laugh at sin. Sin is what wrecks and ruins the lives of people. Remember in the day of Noah, the days of the flood, you know what they did? They laughed. They laughed when he preached the gospel. They laughed. They laughed. They made fun. But it wasn't funny to God. And the flood came. And they were all, all under the curse except Noah and his family. What does it mean to be under the curse right now? John 3, 36 says, He that believeth not. doesn't mean believing in general. It means if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus on purpose to save you from sin and hell, to give you eternal life, justification, His credited righteousness to your account, he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But listen, the wrath of God abideth on him. You know what that verse is telling us? It doesn't tell us one day you're going to be cursed if you don't make it to heaven. No, the Bible says the reason people don't make it to heaven, the only reason a person goes to hell is because they did not put their faith in the only one who could save them and they are under a curse already. You don't go to hell and experience the curse. Every breath you take, every second your heart ticks without having Christ to be your Savior, you sit under a curse. And all that is waiting is for your heart to tick one last time and the last bit of air to be taken out of your lungs and you pass from this life and into eternity and you'll never get a do-over. You'll never get another chance because all of our chances will have expired. God is long-suffering. He's patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And so he gives us an opportunity if we're under the curse if we're under the wrath of God, don't go about business as usual. Don't go to your school under the curse. Don't go to your job under the curse. Don't go back home under the curse. Don't go to the theater under curse. Don't go to the ball game under the curse because everywhere you go until your faith has been declared in Jesus Christ, you're under the curse and wrath of God. Proverbs 3.33, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. You're under a curse. Listen, this is not a fairy tale. This is not some scary story. 
You want the doctor to tell you the truth. The Bible refers to Jesus as the great physician. Ultimately, he's come to heal your sin, sick soul. But you can only take so many breaths in this life before we join the rest of humanity before us. And we enter into eternity. And you'll go just one of two places. You will live as long as God lives. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Those who recognize, I don't want my sin. I don't want to be under the curse. I need Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, if you don't want to be under the curse, notice verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for, would you read the last phrase with me in verse 11? The just shall live by faith. He gave us the way of the curse. If you're going to go the way of the law, it's the way of the curse. Or you can go the way of faith. Do you know that phrase, the just shall live by faith? That's an Old Testament verse. Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. You know, it takes three books of the New Testament to explain that phrase, the just shall live by faith. It's quoted in Romans 1 and verse 17 when it says the just That's where the emphasis is there. The just shall live by faith. It's found in Galatians 3.11. The emphasis there is upon the just shall live. What we're looking at here. And then it's in Hebrews 10 and verse 38. The just shall live by faith one more time. Three New Testament emphasis saying the exact same verse. The point is you have a choice. You don't come to church and automatically get into heaven. His name was Judas Iscariot. He walked with Jesus for three years. But before graduation from the school of Jesus, he never accepted by faith the gift that Jesus was to him. He kissed the door of heaven and betrayed Jesus and he went to hell. You can come to church. It's not the same as coming to Christ. But it ought to make it easier for you to recognize that God loves you. Jesus died for you. And he wants to save your soul this morning. Here's the picture. We're under the curse. But Christ has been made according to this verse. Verse 10 and 11. Christ was made a curse for us. When did Jesus become a curse for us? Was it when Jesus was born? No, because the Bible referred to Jesus at his birth as that holy thing. Was it during his childhood? No, because the Bible says he grew in favor with God and man. Do you know when Jesus became a curse for you? Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse For us, when? He's quoting an Old Testament verse again. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You want to know when Jesus became a curse for you so that you can escape the curse? When he laid his life down and went to the cross for you and me. And God, being a holy God, looked down, saw your sin and mine, the sin of the world, and placed it upon Jesus. And Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. Everybody in this building is in one of these two verses. You're either in verse 10 
or you're in verse number 13. You're either under the curse or you've been redeemed. And you're made to be under the blood of Jesus. You'll either stay under the law and under the curse or you'll take Jesus to be your Savior and be redeemed under the blood of Jesus. Join me in standing, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed.